Good to see you today. Glad that you're here. Uh, the Holy Spirit is in this place. Amen. And God is going to do something awesome in us and to us today. Uh, last week was Easter, had a phenomenal Sunday, and I know today is going to be just as good, if not better, because we have the most interesting man in Free Will Baptist and the entire world with us today is our guest speaker, Brother Clint Morgan. Uh, Clint is the Director of International Missions, and of course today is World Mission Offering Day, where we're going to give everything, our entire offering goes to world missions today. I have a lot of preacher friends ask me, Will, how do you do that? How do you operate on 51 weeks instead of 52? I say, well, it's a God thing. We give and God blesses, and I know he's going to do that for you today. I'm going to ask Brother Clint to come. You give him a big Kavanaugh welcome as he comes to the stage today. So good to have my brother with us. Let me pray over you before you speak to us. Can I do that? Heavenly Father, I love you. I love Brother Clint. I pray that your Holy Spirit would fill his life today. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. And I pray, dear Lord, that his brother Clint reads and preaches the word on the outside, that the Holy Spirit would speak it into our hearts. I love you, Lord. I love this man. I pray a blessing on him today, and I do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you, buddy. Good morning, everyone. Uh, I think Brother Will needs to get out a little bit more, okay? If I'm the most interesting person he knows, then, you know, maybe you need to help him travel a little bit. Um, I am glad to be with you, and it is a great opportunity to be with you on World Mission Offering Day. For those of you who do not know what that is, and you obviously, many of you give and perhaps don't have a good uh, picture of what it actually means, several years ago we realized that uh, we needed an extra boost every year for our general fund, and that's where it actually started was money for the general fund. Uh, that's to run the office and all of that. But as time was to go on and we had other needs, we realized that we could use this offering in a much better way. We have three focuses today. When you give your money to the World Mission Offering, there are three ways that it's going to be used. Number one, it's for partnerships. Number two, for missionary accounts that are in the deficit or underfunded. And number three, for our general fund. Now, I want to tell you just a little bit about those three. I'm not trying not to spend a whole lot of time here, but the first one is partnerships. We hope to have somewhere between $600,000 dollars come in this year. We Really, we have a goal, a long-term five-year goal of reaching a million dollars every year. That's our goal. And so this year we're going to you know, start uh, climbing in that direction. But what is that money used for? About $400,000 of that $600,000 or $650,000 will go for our partnerships. Now, partnerships are built along with a mission, partnering with, local, with national churches in fields where we as a mission organization are heavily invested. And they, but we have no more missionaries there, or we only have a very limited, generally one couple or one family that's there. And so we want to be able to continue that relationship we have, have with them. Many of these churches are doing well on their own, and we know that they can do well, but we also know that if we can come along beside them and help them, and quite often it's finances that's the best way to help them, then it will accelerate their, their progress. And there are several fields where we as a mission are very heavily invested. We have Cote d'Ivoire, uh, which is Ivory Coast. Uh, for many, many of you would know that place. You've had uh, some support that you've given there. Then we have... Um, and my, I touched that screen, and don't you just love 
tech technology touching it goes zoop and it goes somewhere else. Goes, I didn't want to go there. What are you doing? Uh, so yeah, I'm talking to the machine and you're listening. So, but uh, you know we have the the mission work that went on in Cote d'Ivoire for uh, many years. We no longer have missionaries there. We have Cuba. We have India. We have Brazil. We have uh, some uh, national pastors, national missionaries now that are coming and jump, joining our teams, and we're helping support them in Bulgaria. We have a couple that is Bulgarian that's working on our team there. We have in Spain, we have a couple there that's Spanish couple, and they work on our team there, and we're, we're just excited about what God is doing. And then we have the Panama, where we were invested. We were there for over 50 years, but there are no missionaries there. But the work carries on. In 2012, in the country of Panama, at the National Association, one of the church leaders stood up and he said this to the missionaries that were present. We can do this now. And, you know, if you want to, you could be insulted. Were they telling us to leave? But I'll tell you, there was not one of our missionaries that was insulted. They rejoiced in the Lord. They said, the church is saying to us, we can do this. We want to take the responsibility now to reach our country for the Lord. And let me tell you, they are doing an amazing job. One of the things you hear them tell, the, they are uh, right now their emphasis is to get the people in the pew out to the Panamanians. They said, this is our responsibility. We said we can do this. Are we going to do it? And so they're teaching their people how to win people to Christ. And I think it's an excellent thing. You see that happening. In India, we've only had one missionary there. By the way, can anyone tell me the one missionary that we have that's still in Ivory, I mean, still in India? Been there a long time, 68 years. Anyone know him? Well, I was going to give you $10, but since you don't know, that's okay. You just lost out on the money. But if I gave you $10, I'd want you to put it in the offering, okay? That's, I mean, this, this is the way it works, world mission offering. But in India, where we really, just one missionary for many years... Today, already in India, over 17,000 free will Baptists met this morning in our churches throughout the country because one missionary stayed true, he's training leaders, and they're carrying on the ministry there. So when you give that money to the World Mission Offering, and you realize that a big chunk of that is going, by the way, $75,000 of it goes directly to India to help uh, build and plant churches there. So we're continuing our ministry to them and through them. So I want you to understand that you're helping national leaders fulfill God's command for them. And I think that's a great investment. I will tell you that. It's an eternal investment. The second part is once we meet the 400000 or, or you know that part of the budget and we have funded all the partnership budgets, then everything that comes in after that is given. There's divided two ways. 60% goes to accounts, missionary accounts, that are in the deficit or underfunded. And I won't go into the long explanation of underfunded, but you understand that they're not getting enough in to meet their daily or their monthly uh, needs, but they're not yet in the deficit, but they're headed in that direction. And I want to just tell you, because of the generosity of Free Will Baptist people and our churches throughout, really around the world, we have churches around the world that actually give to the World Mission Offering, but because of their generosity for the last three years, we've been able to erase every deficit account at the end of the year. And some years we've had, I mean, you know, we don't stock up money. I want to tell you, we're not up there saying, you know, just let's have this enormous bank account and tell the people how much money we've got. We're, you know, got people give it to us to use. And because of that, not only were we able to get them out of the, the deficit, we also at times have been able to put as much as $10,000 in deficit accounts. But that's because of your generosity. And World Mission often plays a strategic role in doing those things. So I want you to know your money is well given. 
I do want to say this, and I think it's important that we understand. By the way, I do not know, and I, and I know I would hear about it if it was, you are the only church that we have that has Give It All Sunday. The only Free Will Baptist church that does that. So thank you. And it is. And I mean, I'm, I'm like you. I hear people say, what? How do, they, how do they do that? They give. And it's called obedience giving. Let me tell you, you cannot beat it. It's guaranteed. And we're not, I'm not Joel Osteen. Can I say that out loud? You know, you know, I'm not giving you the prosperity spill here. I'm just telling you, you give, you will see God will bless. And, and there's nothing like obedience in all of our lives if we follow him obediently in every aspect of our life and letting the Holy Spirit work in us and to guide us. I want to tell you the message today is about a message of compassion and hope. Now, at International Missions, we have a mission statement. That mission statement is, we exist to labor with the body of Christ to fulfill the Great Commission. I hope that flows easily and makes sense. And we, as a mission organization, our purpose for being, we exist to labor with the body of Christ. And let me tell you, when we talk about the body of Christ, we mean every believer anywhere in the world. Now, we have some great free will Baptists that we work with, but we have some non-free will Baptists we work with. And, you know, as I like to say, people say, well, you know, about uh, people from other denominations or other groups, I said, you know, you, the free will Baptists, you're like my brothers and sisters, but, man, we have some super first cousins. <laughs> and, you know, they're in the family, too. We understand that. They really are brothers and sisters in Christ. But when we say we want to work with the body of Christ, we mean we want to work with the body of Christ wherever it is. And God has given us some opportunities that really are amazing, and we're thankful for that. So we want to labor with the body of Christ to do what? To fulfill the Great Commission. We all know that. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Go make disciples. That was given to every born-again believer everywhere in the whole wide world, every era from the time that Christ spoke those words until he returns. Those are going to be words that should be profoundly mark us and motivate us in our lives and the things that we do. And I do mean every day. Every day we ought to be striving to fulfill that great commission that he gave us. Now, every mission statement is good, but you have to have tasks. You, you have to do something in order to accomplish that mission statement. It doesn't just come to pass in a vacuum. Uh, so we have six what we call major tasks that we try to accomplish. Number one, we minister to people's needs. We minister to people's needs. Now, anyone remember what I preached on last time besides the story of the parrots that someone told me they remembered? Right, Jason? Uh, you know, anyone remember that? But that's okay. Uh, I do remember, and the reason I do, because I wrote it down. Um, but I teach occasionally over at Welch College, and I tell those students, I said, three years from now, if you can tell me three things that you learned in this year-long class, I am going to be happy. So if I come back three years from now, I want you to at least tell me three things you learned today, okay? But one of the things, in the last time I was here, I spoke from Acts chapter 26, verses 16 through 18. And we'll have to, excuse me, it's that time of the year, right? The stuff in the throat. But I spoke on Acts chapter 26, and, you know, it was Paul, and he's before Agrippa, he's defending his faith, and, and he said, Christ spoke to me through the light, and he said, I called you to be a minister and a witness. And we explained at that point that ministering means meeting people's needs. Witnessing, we know what that means. So we believe that that is a primary focus and task of all of our missionaries. Go build relationships with people, understand what their needs are, and try to meet those needs. It is through meeting those needs that we earn the privilege of 
the second step, and that is sharing a message of compassion and hope. Now, we don't share that message of compassion and hope, nor minister, you know, without hope that people are going to accept Christ. But let me make this statement, and I made it last time, and I'll make it again. We minister to people's needs not because that we are trying to set them up, and then if they don't accept Christ, we're going to abandon them. You minister to people's needs because it's the right thing to do. And then you share that message of compassion and hope, hoping that they will understand and they'll accept Christ and they'll come and follow him. And that's what you want. And when they do, we need to make disciples. Now, all of, you know, we could spend hours talking about terminology here. But I think you've been in church long enough, most of you, you're following me right along here. We talk about making disciples, what we're talking about. Someone comes to know Christ and you follow up with them. You talk to them. You help them understand the importance of following Christ and the Holy Spirit living them and living in obedience to God's word and walking with Christ. I want to give you an illustration about a disciple, and this, then I'll move to the next point. I was in uh, Brazil several years ago, and we heard a, a Brazilian pastor speak, and he talked about in his message, he said, I am obsessed with shoes, polished shoes. I want my shoes to shine. He said, but then I thought about Christ and his disciples, and everywhere they went, they were in sandals or barefoot, right? And he said, but then it hit me. Those who followed Christ, his disciples, those who were close to him, the dust off of the feet of Christ were on their shoes and on their feet. He said, that's a disciple. You follow him so closely that the dust off of his feet are on your feet. Wonderful, wonderful thought. So we want to make disciples of every believer Every newborn believer. Then we have plant churches. Now, in the mission, this is the way we explain it to young missionaries when they're starting. If you go out and you minister to people's needs, you're going to share that message of compassion and hope. They accept Christ. You disciple them. A church will emerge. Does that make sense? A church will emerge. It's not about out there. We're not trying to fill up buildings. We're trying to make disciples. And you make disciples, churches will emerge. But when a church emerges, you want to have good, strong leadership. <clears throat> if you do not have good, strong leadership, a church will, number one, it will not be what it should be. And it will not be sustainable. It will pass. It will fall. We tell our, in our Bible Institute, when we were training pastors, and I said this over and over to them, it is better to not have leaders in your church than to have leaders that are not biblically qualified. The Bible is very clear on what it means to be a, a leader in a church. And you want people who are biblically qualified, spiritually ready to take on that task. And I do believe that that's one of the weaknesses in our churches around the world. You get people in leadership positions, and I mean pastors too, and perhaps even missionaries, let's be kind to one another, that are not really biblically qualified. And we have to be careful. Train leaders and then partner with the body of Christ. Never forget, never get isolated by yourself. That's very important in our thinking. Now I want to go back to the second one, and I don't have time to talk about all six of them, so I'm just going to focus on one particular one, that we share a message of compassion and hope. Now I'm going to share a little bit about that message of compassion and hope with you today. You ready? Yes. Everybody looking? Let me see. You got everybody. Good free will Baptist up there, I know, you know. I, I, I've always said Free Will Baptist churches, if they were shipped, the bow would always be out of the water, you know. You guys are good up here. I'm glad to have you up here. You got, you know, you got it balanced a little bit, so that's good. Uh, I love you guys. Don't, don't be offended by that, okay? Can you hear me up there? Yeah, okay. 
I want to give you that message of compassion and hope. This is it. Didone tambako nasi, ako hasi obikumbiel Jesu. Ako irtira, ako kir kirkankaran, ado fituri anahafi yir kora. Anyone get that one? Uh, don't stone your pastor, I'm not speaking in tongues, okay? Let me try it again. Let's try another one. Car Dieu a tant aimé le monde qu'il a donné son fils unique, afin que qui croit en lui ne périsse point, mais qu'il ait la vie éternelle. Anyone understand French? French, okay. Do you understand anyone? Anyone, anyone speak French? Okay, let's try it one more time. We'll give it one more shot. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that is a message of compassion and hope right there. It's a simple one. People say it's the gospel in a nutshell, and it is. It's as simple as you can get. After I accepted the Lord when I was eight years old, my, I went home, I remember very well, and my dad said, if someone asks you, how do you know that you're saved, what are you going to say? I said, well, the, pastor, the preacher told me to come and get saved. So I, no, I didn't say that. I said, uh, you know, and we talked a little bit about it, and he said, always remember, my dad said this, always remember John 3.16. And he said, did you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins? And I said, yes, sir. And he said, that's the message right there. And it's been wonderful for me. It's been a great challenge. But what I want to do today is just take our minds a little bit to another place, another time, uh, to Ivory Coast, West Africa, where my wife and I served for 30 years. And I want us to see a little bit what it would be like to take the gospel to the Lobi people. Now, that is the Lobi language. And it says, it's John 3.16 in, in the Lobi language. And, of course, the French. But what is it like when someone from another language and another culture hears John 3.16 for the first time? It's hard for us to, really, it's hard for us to imagine, isn't it? But let's go down, and I'm going to try to give you the best, my understanding of what a Lobi would hear when you give him that message. Let's start. Very easy. For God. Now, we're not going to do the Greek, Greek and, you know, Jesus of the passage. I'm just going to give you a very simple, practical application of what it means and what do they hear. When you say, for God, let's stop there, the word God. Now, if we had time, we could stop and discuss and let you talk to me about God, your understanding of God. We don't have that kind of time. But I think and hope you understand the, the God of the Bible. You understand he is the true and the living God, that he is the creator of the universe and that he's the sustainer and he cares for us. But when they, the word you hear the word God in Lobi, which is Tangba, and you ask any Lobi. Now, again, I want to tell you the Lobi are a tribe up in the northeast corner of Ivory Coast, very primitive people. That's where our missionaries went in the beginning because of that, that they were just lowest on the social totem pole. No one's going to go there. So they went to take them this message of compassion and hope. And when the Lobi, you ask any Lobi, do you believe in God? You know their answer going to be, Absolutely. Now, we need to be careful, even in our conversations here, when you ask people what they believe, because they can give you right answers or what seems to be the right answer, but you need to probe a little bit and make sure you're understanding what they're understanding. Because you have to ask a little bit, you believe in God? Yes, I believe in God. Tell me about your God. Well, you know, he created the heavens and the earth. I agree with that, right? He's the creator God. And he walked here on earth. You believe that? 
I do. I mean, this is what Genesis tells us, that he was walking on the earth. And, but at that point, we get a little deviation here of, of truth. Because they said, but God's mad at us. Okay, why is God mad at you? And, he gets, and he's far, far away. Why is God mad? Why are you far away? And this is their story, the lowly people. This, so when they hear the word God, this is what they think. A God who's angry and he's far away. And the story goes, a woman was out working one day. She had these big wooden bowl. She's pounding away, you know, getting her yams ready or whatever she was pounding away. And we've all had this experience. And we are so just locked in on what you're doing. And someone walks up behind you and, you know, whoo, you know and then you're just about to jump out of your skin. I hope you're, you know, unless you're really cool, you know, you're there. I know there's some guys out there or ladies too. You got to be so cool. Nothing scares you ever. But I'm not that person. And this lady, she was out there pounding away. God walked up behind her, spoke to her. And when it, he did, it scared her. And she took the big long stick that she would, and she ran, pop, got, knocked him right over the head. And God got mad and it went far, far away. Now, I hope that's not in your Bible. If it is, you better get a good one. It's not even in the Lobby Bible. Because that's not what happened. So you see there's a deviation of truth. But it's so interesting that they have that foundation that there is one true God. And he created the heavens and the earth, and he walked on the earth. But he's mad now, and he's out there. So when you get to the second word, love, for God so loved the world, then they really don't see God as a God of love. You know, they don't understand that at all. In fact, they have a hard time understanding love. But I was speaking one day in our church in Ivory Coast, and and I asked the people, I said, uh, you know, what, what, how do you understand God's love? What, is it, what does it mean to you? And it was a lady who said, God's love is like Dr. Miley's love for Musa. And you don't know Dr. Miley. You probably don't know Musa. Dr. Miley was my father-in-law. Passed away in 2005. He was a missionary. Became a, mission, a doctor, medical doctor, just so he could go to the mission field. That's what he was all about. He went and as they explored the country to try to find a place to go... They came across this funeral. And honestly, at that time, the women wore leaves and the men barely covered themselves. And they were out, gathered out in this field. And they were dancing around this. And they stopped to see what was going on. And as they stopped, these men came up to them and they had their bows and their arrows. And, you know, they thought, this may not have been a good idea. But there was a funeral. And it hit them, these are people without hope. And that's why we need to come to them. So that was Dr. Miley. Musa, you don't know him either. Musa was town drunk. Musa was literally the town drunken. And you can't imagine, I don't think, you know, you've seen people maybe that are crazy, I don't know. But his hair was matted, you know, not had been shaved and who knows when, hadn't had a bath and who knows when. And he had a job, if you want to call it that, and he was sleep on the little porch right in front of a local store. Now, we're talking, don't think anything fancy. Block building, tin roof, just some stuff inside to sell. But his job was to sleep on that little patio right out there, hoping that if people tried to break in, they'd stumble on Musa, wake him up. He'd go, ah, and people would, you know, that was the fire alarm or the police, you know, call for the police. But they came back one, they came one morning and found Musa on the little stoop there in a coma. They picked him up, put him in a wooden cart, rolled him up to the hospital, literally dumped him on the porch. And so when Dr. Miley and his team got up the next morning, they come, they find this body there. You know, he's alive, but he's in a coma. Dirty, mangled hair, stunk beyond your imagination. 
And what did they do? Remember those first words? They ministered to him. They picked him up. They took him inside. They shaved him. They cleaned him up. They gave him the medicine that he needed, and they brought him back to health. And she said, and that is God's love right there. Cares for those that no one else will care for. And I do want to add to that because we say that God loves the unlovable, but I want to tell you God loves the lovable also. There's some really nice people out there, you know, and there are people that everyone thinks they want to be like them, but they're lost, and God loves them too. But this love from Musa, and i got to tell you this part of the story because my very first Sunday that I preached in Ivory Coast, and I had nothing to do with Musa. I didn't even know who he was. This is how I heard that story. That very first Sunday I preached in Ivory Coast, Musa got saved. He stayed there at that hospital as long as he possibly could. And when he knew his dying days were coming, he said, I want to go home to die. But he said, I'll see you in heaven. <laughs> I can't think of a better way to, to end that. So that was God's love. But then, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now, the word that I use to collectively put this idea together is sacrifice. Sacrifice. Has anyone ever seen a live, I mean, a blood sacrifice? If you have, would you raise your hand? It's rare that I find anyone that's really seen a blood sacrifice. Let me just tell you, when you see sacrifices, and we have, we've seen sacrifices of chickens, we've seen sacrifices of goats and sheep and uh, donkey, and, you know, just so much of the blood, and, and it's spilt all over the place, and you just think. And then among the lowly people, I mean, they believe that they're surrounded by, by the spirit world, and they do make sacrifices to appease the spirit world. One of our ministries was to go into markets and we preach. And, you know, people, great thing about market, you know, very basic fundamental mission, missiological principle is you go where people gather or you gather people together. And the great gathering place in Ivory Coast and many places in Africa is the market. So people would come and we'd go over there and preach. There was a young man who came every day. His name was Michel. Michel would come. Every time we'd go to his market, which was every five days, we'd go and we'd come and we'd and he'd come and he'd listen. And you could just see him standing there listening and listening and listening. One of the preachers there, one of the speakers, the guys that went with me all the time was a man named, we'll talk about him a little bit later. His name was Contine Paul. Just an amazing, faithful witness, you know, witch doctor that had been converted. So he was very clear uh, in his message. But Contine Paul really couldn't read or write. I mean, literally, you could write his name on a piece of paper. So don't come around and tell me, you know, you got to know theology to, to be a good witness. All you have to have is a personal experience with Jesus Christ, and you have a message to tell the nations. And that's what he did. He just tell the stories, tell those simple Bible stories. This man came. His name was Michelle. Michelle came up, and as he, he listened, and you could see him listening. Then one day he came, and he said, I really want to know more about this. And um, he said, but I don't have anything to give God. And we said, what do you mean? He said, I have literally given everything I have to the spirits appeasing. He said, I don't have any chickens. I don't have any sheep. I don't have any goats. I don't have anything. He said, I've sacrificed it all, everything. And he said, even this year when I harvested my fields and I brought it into the family witch doctor, every family has a fetish priest or witch doctor. So when I brought it into him and presented, you know, told him what I, you know, this is, uh, they would bring, you know, in the Bible, had the first fruits. It's sort of like that. They'll bring some of it to their fetish priest and say, what do I do? And he said, you got to go sell it all. Now, think about that. Uh, any, do we have any farmers here? Uh, any farmers? Can you imagine uh, spending all the time that you do in your harvest and preparing the fields and, and everything, and then you bring it together, and then you bring it the 
Pastor Will over here, and he says, go sell it all. And, you know, I'm thinking in that context, what he wants, he'll go sell it all and then say, then he said, and bring it back to me. And you're thinking, that dude's going to take all this man worked for. I don't think you'd want to do that. But that's what Michelle had done. He said, I went, I sold my crops, I brought what I got back to the witch doctor, and he said, uh, and he told me to give it all away. And can you imagine that? Everything you work for all year, now you go harvest it, and then you go sell it, and now you've got to give it all away. Out of fear, if you don't, these spirits are going to kill you. And he said, I have nothing. Contain Paul, the evangelist, looked at him and he said, in Christ, every sacrifice you've ever made is useless before God. There's only one sacrifice that is acceptable before God, and that's Jesus Christ. And Michelle looked at him and he said, you mean I don't have to make any more sacrifices? He said, no, ever again. If you accept Christ as your sacrifice. Michel did, and as far as I know, the last time I was in Africa, he's still following the Lord. Because he understood what it meant, that sacrifice that Christ made. And then we have forgiveness of sins. Now, the word forgiveness is not in there. It says, but whosoever believeth him should not perish, right? Now, if you are not forgiven, you will perish. That's, that's the ultimate end. You know, if your sins are not forgiven... You will perish. You will spend eternity separated from God. I will tell you, lowly people are not very forgiving. They are very vengeful people. I mean, honestly, I, I don't know that I, well, I just don't, haven't known that many people groups. I will say that. But they just are amazing. You can do something to them and they'll act like it's okay. But two, sometimes a year, two years later, they'll come back and take vengeance on you. And we don't, we don't understand that. Forgiveness is not a strong word. It's like if, you do, if someone offends you or you offend someone, you know, you just would go like this. You go, which means I'm asking you, I'm asking you, and that means leave me alone. Don't talk to me about this anymore. But every lobby knows that behind that question, I'm asking you to leave me alone, there is vengeance that will come. And for them to understand the forgiveness that Christ gives us is just difficult. We used to have uh, college teams that would come out and when they would, you know, they'd be out there and uh, we would spend four to six weeks with them and, I mean, we took them through it. We'd just try to take them out in the villages, let them see all kinds of things and, you know, there was a lot of interesting stories that happened when we would take them out the villages. But we'd also bring our pastors in who had gone through initiation rites and other things. They'd come in and they would tell, talk to the, uh, these young people and let them ask questions. We brought a pastor in who had gone through the initiation rites called Joro. The initiation rites uh, for the Lobi people called Joro. And he came in and he told his story. You know, uh, between the ages of 7 and 14, all kids, girls and boys, go through the, the initiation rites. And if you happen to miss it, you understand. If you, you know, you're not in the right age, you could be older than that. But 7 to 14 is the general age that you're going to try to catch in that. If you've ever seen it on National Geographic, that's the way it is. I mean, they go, they're, they're on this trek, and they're going to this location, and along the way, they're beaten, they're starved, they're mistreated, they're not supposed to cry, they're not supposed to whine, they're not supposed to complain. In fact, they're really not supposed to say a word. But all along the way, there are kids that die. So this pastor is telling these young people this. You know, they're college students, and he's telling them these stories. And he said, and when you go through the initiation rites, he gave them all the little details for it. Um, which I will tell you, a non-believer would not tell those details because they'd be afraid the spirits are going to kill them. 
but he's a pastor. He said, you know, he told him. And he says, and when you come to the very end, there's a potion they give you, and it's black potion, and you drink it. And if you have lied or tried to deceive anyone in the process, you'll die. You'll get sick and die. And someone said, what's in the potion? He says, well, I told you people die along the way. They will gather these bodies, some of them, and they will burn them. And then they'll take some of the ashes from these bodies and put it and mix it up with goat milk, and that's what you're drinking. This, one of the students just went bananas. I mean, honestly, he goes, that's horrible. That's cannibalism. I don't, you know, you can't accept that. And this was his idea of how to solve this problem. I'm not joking. This was a college student. He said, I think you ought to kill all the lobies who've gone through the initiation rites and start all over again. Not a good method, just let me say, okay? Not a really good idea at all. But that was, I mean, he was serious. He was really upset. So we tried to calm him down, went to lunch. I'm sitting here, pastor's here, this young man's over there. And we're, you know, and, and you've all had this experience. You've been a little upset when you're eating. And you know what you do when you're upset, don't you? You shovel food, right? And you just, and you chew harder and you look mean. And that's a scary thing to set a table with someone like that. But this guy's there and he's upset and he asked the pastor. And he said, I want to ask him a question. Well, I knew where he was going, but didn't, you know, I said, okay. So he asked the question. He said, I want you to ask him, how does he feel knowing that he might have, might have, you know, drank the ashes of, of his brother or his cousin or someone in his family? I said, it's not a nice question, but I'll ask him. Turned to the pastor. Said, pastor, this is what he wants to know. Pastor hesitated for a minute, then very quietly said, and I hope you get this, it's all under the blood. All under the blood of Jesus Christ. It is forgiven. And that is such a tremendous thought. And no matter what the sin is, even if it's cannibalism, it can all be put under the blood of Christ. And then it ends with, you'll receive the hope of eternal life, everlasting life. The Lobies believe that there's life after death. That you can go to the, it's called Kindidol, which is the village of the ancestors. And in the village of the ancestors, the life is pretty good. Uh, it rains, you work, but there, it rains, the sun shines, the crops are always good, everything's good. You know, it sort of sounds a little bit like our heaven, if you want to say that. If you read Randy Corn or whatever his name, Acorn, whatever his name is. But, you know, life is going to be good. But here's the interesting thing about the life in the Kindidol in the village of the ancestors. You only live there as long as someone speaks your name here on the earth. Then you're gone. Now, we know that not that concept, life after death in the scriptures, is eternal life with the true and the living God. I mean, it's eternal. Not everyone gets that. They believe you can go visit the village of the ancestors and come back and forth. No, thank you. You know, I really had a guy one time said, you want to go visit the village of the ancestors? Do I look stupid? You know, I, don't, I, I wouldn't go. I want a return trip on that one. And we don't usually get that. But I was telling you a while ago about Contine Paul, and I close with this illustration. And talk about Contine Paul and this guy who was a witch doctor, and he was just a dynamic witness, always faithful in his witness. He and I went to these markets. I mean, year in, year out, that's what we did. Five days a week, we go to markets. Leave at 9 o'clock in the morning, get back about 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Hot sun, sometimes miserable settings, stench of, God, of the, the market. But he would stand there and he would preach. I mean, the man would preach and speak and, and wouldn't drink water and wouldn't eat. He was so passionate about sharing the gospel. Then one day he died. Before, shortly before he died, 
I was with him, and he said, called me a son. He said, son, will, will you do my funeral? And I said, yes. And I really thought, because of my love for him, I said, I'll get up there, and I'll blubber all over the place. This is going to be horrible. But I said yes, and I asked the Lord really to give me wisdom and calmness of spirit. So when I gave his message, and you know, people thought it was a little bit bizarre. They said, well, he goes to market about five times a day. I said, the reason he goes to market when he's home is so he witnesses. He goes, he'll, you know, I need some tomatoes. I'm going to go witness to five people. I need some onions. I'm going to go witness to five people. And that was his life. That's what he was about. And when I came to the end of the message, this was what I said. Contin Paul is gone. And if you want to see him again, you'll have to go to his father's house. I believe with all of my heart that Contin Paul had the hope of eternal life. He understood this message of compassion and hope. He shared this message of compassion and hope with the lobies who thought God's far away and God's mad at us and God doesn't care and, you know, do not understand love and do not understand forgiveness and, you know, they all sacrifices. They know all about, but they don't understand that hope of eternal life and that is our responsibility to share that message of compassion and hope. Let me close with this thought today. There are people right here in Fort Smith, Arkansas that have no more idea what John 3.16 means than a lobby in the darkest place in Africa. And that's your responsibility. That's who God wants you to reach. Take this message of compassion and hope to those that are around you. That's his command. Go into all the world, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth and preach the good news good news of salvation. May God help us to be faithful in this task.